Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas. I'm Josh Nixon, content producer for Label Sessions. In this episode, Ian Montgomery of Label Sessions talks to Tom Goodwin. Tom is a digital business transformation specialist and the founder of All We Have Is Now, a consultancy created to help companies unleash the power of new technology with a focus on making better products and services and on customer centricity. Ian talks to him to find out more. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to like come on this and talk and do a recording. Um, the best way of starting these things, Tom, is like have uh, some people, lots of people will know you. You've been kind of notorious on the internet. But like, what are you, what are you known for? Uh, I'm not sure what I'm known for because I think different people have different things. It could be my hair, my sort of vast cultural hair. Um, it might be being provocative. Like a lot of people think I'm, I'm provocative because I ask quite challenging questions. Um, other people think I'm miserable about technology because I'm quite practical about what it means. Um, I would hope that I'm, I'm sort of known for writing pieces that get people to try to understand this moment in time in context. Um, you know, generally speaking, the world's full of people saying technology is changing everything, everything's different now. And then there are some people going around saying nothing's really changing, these people are idiots. I, I try to sort of find the middle ground. I, I try to be helpful, optimistic, uh, profound about the intersection of technology, business and people. Um, so to do that, I kind of run a consulting company called All We Have Is Now, um, which is designed to help solve some of the bigger challenges that businesses have out there or to get them thinking about new opportunities. Um, so how do we get people to get excited about what's coming and to do things that actually make a bit of a difference? What's your dream thing to get asked about when you think about your consulting business? What, what's the sort of questions you like, oh, people come to you with or the ones you'd love people to come to you, you know, with? You know, I did this as a tweet the other day because uh, I've got what I thought was my dream brief. Um, it's basically looking at the future of an industry, but in a practical way. Um, you know, I think when you talk about the future, I think you lose a lot of credibility because people sort of presume either that you're outlandish and you're not really rooted in the reality of business cases and Excel spreadsheets, and you're sort of talking about, you know, life on Mars or something that's quite useless. Um, or they just sort of think, oh God, you know, not this, not these people. Um, but actually, I, I think we are living in a time where technology has brought about a whole new toolkit um, that has changed what people's expectations of, of the world are. Um, we're surrounded by a, a handful, like quite a small number of companies that are doing really exciting things that are showing how, how wonderful experiences could be. Um, and I think that most companies don't really want to change in a significant way because they don't feel like they have to and because it's very difficult and it's hard to make a business case for it. Um, so a, a brief like what is the future of um, home ownership or what is the future of banking or what is the future of um, mobility or retail, those are always really fascinating briefs because you get to sort of transcend the nonsense, you know, like retail will all be about virtual um, try-ons with AR headsets and you'll have like mirrors in retailers where you'll sort of speak to your mirror and it'll sort of tell you what items will work well alongside or their database of items that it knows you had already are there's a lot of nonsense and um, but there's also a lot of people sticking their heads in the sand going actually everything's fine you know we've got a department store that's been around for 200 years you know why do we need to change now um maybe because you don't need to exist anymore um so so future briefs are always my favorite and like 
I find it really interesting that you have this realm of the futurists are kind of coming to the fore again and Bourne's like spending a lot of money on keynotes and they, a lot of them are really great but you have this world that maybe people pay a lot of money for them because it's a world that's so far away I'm not really accountable for that right now and then you have the world of like the really boring consultancies that do like systems integration because it's like here's a big challenging technical thing and the bit in the middle gets lost a bit it's it's weird because logically you'd have thought that's where all the value really comes from you know like there's, there's a lot of companies out there that can do a sort of a database migration um and there are a lot of people out there that are talking about the future of mobility is that no one owns cars and that cars will fly and actually yeah like the the sort of three to ten year roadmap ahead um it's not unknowable i mean you, you can't look at a technology like evs and think Oof, you know I don't think this is going to change that much, but it's it's also quite stupid to talk about flying cars. Um, you know, when you look at the energy density of, of something like batteries. Um, so people always think you must be sort of really arrogant. I think if you can, if you sort of somehow have the audacity to think that, you know, a five-year plan shouldn't necessarily be that hard. Um, and it's, it's not necessarily about the glamorous things either, you know, like the future mobility, you know, maybe about um, multimodal ticketing on your phone. It may, it may be about not having to bloody enter your name and phone number and, and email every time you buy a ticket. Um, you know, it might be that you have, uh, it might be that we use the power of NFC uh, that's been in all of our devices for seemingly sort of decades. Um, yeah, there's a sort of wonderful middle ground there. And I think you're excellent at doing this as well, um, where you're sort of treading a line between what's really interesting, but also what's very helpful. And I think there are, there are not many people, you know, there are lots of very helpful people and there are lots of interesting people, but being both is quite hard. There's something like we have all this technology, but then when we know what the problems are, but then we don't go and solve the problems we have with the technology that we have, we seem to think we have to find a new problem or a new technology or both. Or a very superficial application. I mean, that's that's why I'm getting a little bit nuts about AI because, um, you know, people keep on using it to render out funny pictures. You know, can't we use it to render an invoice? Um, you know, can't we use it to do our expenses for us? Can we use it to do our, our timesheets? Can we use it to ensure that we don't have 37 different decks with, say, different file names on the same shared drive? Um, you know, let, let's be quite pragmatic with exciting stuff. Yeah, as I was like, it's the just filling in a form. I did this the other week, so I got my Canadian citizenship. And as soon as you get it, you're like, you can apply for a passport. And I was like, so I'm going to go to another department, fill in all, going to give you my name, my ID, my address, my employment history. It's like, I've already given you all this. Like, why can't that department talk to that department? I don't even know if that's it. Is that even AI or just common that sense? Confidence. Yes. No, exactly. Lots of people seem to think that the things that AI can do are actually things that a, a good database should have been able to do. Um, you know, we need to be sort of more focused, I think, on the needs that people have and the, the problems the businesses have and then think about how to best solve them in a world where we have all this technology. Um, I still find it remarkably different, difficult to find out how much it's going to cost me to, to check uh, bags into a flight. You know, I think BA needs sort of AI, but for telling us how much bags cost. Or is however much they feel like charging you on that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how crazy you can be. Well, they do, they, they do like, I know like some of the airlines have algorithms that go, well, we believe this person might be coming from here and on that day of the week, they're going to be carrying more baggage, so we'll charge them more money because they won't yes. have an alternative versus just being like, don't mind paying for a bag. Just, yes. just tell me what it costs. Yes, be clear and, and reasonable. So how did you like get into this world? Because you were an architect when you started, right? 
Well, you, yeah, I mean, in a weird I way, Architects is actually not the, the worst place to come from. Um, I think I've always been quite imaginative. I've always been quite thoughtful about um, people and their needs. So in a weird way, architecture is not the sort of most terrible starting point. Um, I then realized I didn't really want to be an architect, so I got stuck into advertising. Um, I then had a number of clients that were in the sort of, you know, I hate the word technology, but they were in the technology space. So they made mobile phones and networks. Um, and then I really got thinking about what it all meant. Um, you know, what would happen if 5 billion people had a mobile phone? How would that change education? Um, what would happen if um, you could video everything? You know, how would that change the way that people would live their lives? You know, would we just go around videoing everything? Um, <laughs> and uh, this was all sort of like the sort of mid-2000s, I guess. Um, and I was always quite interested in the, in the future, actually. I, I went back to my parents' house in deepest, darkest Oxfordshire the other day, and I saw that I've got like the Usborne Book of the Future. Um, and uh, yeah, that's probably every single um, you know boy or, or child these days is, is sort of thinking a bit about the future. But yeah, it just made me realize that um, when you're interested in technology and you're quite curious, um, but when you're thoughtful about people and what it all means to them, and then when you are sort of quite sort of fascinated by business and actually how business is structured and how they work, you know, there's this sort of beautiful intersection in the middle. Um, and I don't think that many people are good at that stuff, actually. I, I don't try to, to sort of sound arrogant, but I think there are lots of business people that are just not that good at understanding people. Um, I think there are lots of technology people, you know, perhaps all of them, um, that are not very good at understanding people. Um, and they're quite sort of ignorant about business and actually the you know what businesses really care about and i just realized i was i was in this area that was full of everything that i found fascinating um you know it's not as, as easy to make a living from it as you might imagine um but it's uh, it's a very interesting place to be the people bit's the missing bit though to me so it's yeah. like you have do you have people who are very they can come up with the savviest business model that they can think of so yeah. you can be an incredible technologist but they don't go why does somebody buy this thing? Why does somebody go to that place? Why does somebody need to do this task? Whatever it might be. I think that's the bit that confuses me the most because it doesn't seem to be that hard because we're all people. I mean, obviously, we're all quite different from each other. But, you know, it must be quite hard to know what a dog's thinking about. You know, I imagine that's quite tricky. Yeah, maybe maybe it's, maybe it's actually really easy. Um, you know, when people are sort of talking about, you know, how direct-to-consumer brands are going to be the future, I kind of thought, well... I don't know. I, I, I can't really imagine people sort of staying at home all day while 37 packages arrived. You know, one with your sort of direct-to-consumer scrubber, and then the afternoon you get your sort of direct-to-consumer uh, shoe polish, and then, you know, you'd be a bit annoyed because on Thursday your direct-to-consumer um, window-clean products, you know, that you've got a subscription to, that you've read all the backstory about, and you've heard about how, you know, the founders came up with the idea for cleaner windows after you know, being in a tent once. Um, you, you kind of think I don't think that would really happen with it. I don't think I don't think people care that much about this stuff. You know, you use Alexa, you know, and you get it on day two, and after day two, you're thinking, yeah, you know, this isn't a very good way to buy things because you don't really want to have a conversation about batteries. Um, it it doesn't seem that hard to understand people quite well. You know, obviously to understand them brilliantly and to understand the weirdness and the sort of the quirks of human life. Are, extraordinary and and impossible but to have a general sense you know are that many people going to buy an exercise bike for two thousand dollars that you need to spend fifty thousand fifty pounds a month on i don't think so yeah that, that's that's not rocket science 
well then those businesses they do so well like i look at like mattresses casper's like a lovely mattress it's pretty good and it's better but if it's good i've got some social proof i'll buy it on the internet saves me going to a mattress shop sounds awful and i bought it once and i'm probably not going to buy a mattress for quite a long time no that's how mattresses normally work yeah but it's almost like like their investors or the people behind it seem to think, well, you're going to buy a lot more mattresses from us now. Yes, you've become like, a mattress aficionado. Yeah. Maybe you just bought a massive house and you're just slowly kitting it out with more bedrooms. I don't know, but it's like a weird... There's things that make sense in that model and things that absolutely don't, but people seem to just go, well, that's the model then. Yes. Without really thinking. I mean, COVID was quite an interesting time because I think everyone went a bit nuts and... Um... I didn't get well known for my predictions because I don't think anyone cared about them, but I kind of predicted everything, um, you know, including the idea that everyone would go out and buy a printer, you know, everyone's going to go out and buy a webcam. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can interpolate those growth lines and then presume that in the year 2032, everyone's got 159 webcams in their house. Um, it probably just meant it was pulling through demand. Um, and it, it was sort of extraordinary to me to see the sort of changes in things like Wayfair's share price or, um, you know, people's sort of predictions about the future and, and how they made money, you know, because it, it, it seemed quite obvious to me, really, that everyone sort of goes out and they buy a nice office chair and then they go out and they sort of buy a bread maker. Um, and and that that's probably it for, for five years of that. So. Or what, like, the webcam thing is, like, once you have a better webcam, you have a better microphone, you're set up in a nicer way. This is nicer and easier. I can be in Toronto, you can be in Lisbon, we can do this thing. Nobody seems to think about what that enables rather than like anything else. It just seems they were focused on people are buying a lot of webcams and a lot of microphones, not how do you, how can you live and work totally differently because of that? There were some very, very interesting questions that were much harder. I mean, to, to predict the, the rise of the webcam was, was quite easy. Um, but to then think, well, what does that mean for sort of business class fares? You know, does this mean that people are going to fly more because they've moved away from the office? Does this mean they're going to fly, you know, indirect and, and sort of have a weekend break in, you know, Calgary in February um, on their way to Guangzhou? Um, those are really, really hard questions, but I, but I didn't see many people posing them. Everyone got sort of stuck on the headlines, I think. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe to understand people and to understand technology is, is quite an unusual skill. And maybe things that come easily to us aren't necessarily things that come easy to other people. I think it's a fear of being wrong for a lot of people as well. So, I, like, I've, I've been in big consultancy, you've been in big advertising agency. Like, the idea of there needs to be a single right answer. And then that if you're, if you're not right about it, then you failed. Whereas actually, like, we're probably heading in somewhere in that direction. There's different kind of futures available to us. I think is way more interesting. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this the other day, and this is me hijacking this podcast to talk about something that's that's probably um, therapy more than anything else. But I, I was sort of thinking, um, like a lot of industries are quite stupid, really. You know, like when you when you watch, um, was it Oppenheimer? Yeah, you know, can you imagine how hard it is to to sort of invent a, a nuclear bomb? You know, can you imagine the sort of quality of conversations that you have about the type of detonator to use? You know, you're going to go for fission or fusion or, if you know, how are you going to choose between plutonium or uranium? You imagine those really advanced conversations all day long. Um, and I kind of sit in, in quite a lot of meetings, um, at least in the past, not so much lately. Um, and people would just be talking about things that were completely irrelevant and quite stupid. You know, like we, we'd sort of have all this data to show that click-through rates didn't actually make any difference whatsoever. And then we'd spend the rest of the afternoon talking about how to, to, to make them greater. Um, or how to sort of measure them more accurately. 
And I'd kind of think, um, you know, was anyone paying attention when we discovered there was no meaning to the data? Um, or, you know, people people will do quite sorts of stupid things. Um, I, I was in a grocery store the other day and there was a little wobbler next to the wine saying, you know, love our wine, why not buy it online instead? And I thought... Or you're in the store. Yeah. Okay, thought, I'll, I'll, I'll um, put it back then. Well, this is a bit odd because I don't think they can make any money if you buy this online. Um, you know, if it, if it would said sort of, you know, why don't you join, why don't you buy a bottle now and um, use it to subscribe to our wine club where we deliver 12 bottles a month, you know, you can make money on that. I just thought, I don't understand how it is that the companies are able to do quite a lot of really stupid things. Um, and it almost made me realize that the most, I don't know, what, what can we do to sort of elevate the type of discussions that we have in, in business? You know, how, how, how can next time someone's talking about brand purpose and, um, you know, how can we, how we can improve the sort of brand purpose um, of, uh, you know, brand that makes light bulbs or something. Um, you kind of, you think, you know, couldn't we have a sort of conch that we, that we sort of give out to people and we say, you know, you're now the consumer. What do you think of this? I mean, that's the, there's this thing that just gets lost of like, I feel like people lose their minds and they're suddenly like, just go into a shop and see what it's like. Like I've done a load of stuff around transit lately and it's like amazing how many people you speak to and like, have you ridden a train lately? Have you been on a bus? Like just think. Think in the in the shoes of somebody who is a passenger, not not you as an op- who's got an operation challenge. And then well, as soon as you do that, the world changes, or the way you see the world changes. Yeah, we kind of hope that people do that regularly anyway. But I guess that's not true. You know, you'd kind of hope that people would just get on a bus one day, or they'd um, you know fly on a different airline just to see what it's like. Or, you know, if you're the CEO of an airline, you'd imagine occasionally you try and buy a ticket yourself. You know, just to see what it's like to try and buy a ticket or something. Um, but you know, maybe we are more unusual than we uh, we realize. I don't think we should be, but I somehow think we are. Um, or this, this, I think there's like a, there's a huge amount of it. It's like confidence as well. So you end up lacking the confidence to do a new and a different thing. Um, it's a totally different like kind of way of thinking about it. But I was reading this book called um, Winston Churchill's Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, and it's mostly about just like. British people blowing shit up during the war but like the whole way that the British psyche was during the war was based around um we're gentlemen we're not going to fight dirty and there are a few people like oh if we do that we're not we're not going to win so like how do how do we what's the subversive stuff that we can do and apparently church will love that stuff but like the the whole attitude that the, the various individuals have seems to be so like experimental like all right I'll try that and if it doesn't work I'll try something else and like failure like the only failure they could think of was like losing the war and it's different when you're like they were sabotaging like nazi machineries and factory and stuff like that so it's like they're they're destroying stuff not making stuff but like we've got this thing that people are so scared of failing at something or doing something different or looking strange i think um i mean i i think a lot about the kind of people that 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 pay me money to to help them and the thing that people have in common is always that they're people who are not just trying to get by in their jobs. And I think this is where I realized that my skills of empathy are somewhat lacking because I I can't really imagine what it's like to be in a company and to to sort of get through the day um, and to sort of hope that the annual sort of performance review works out okay. Um, And then to sort of start thinking about what that means for your pension in five years time. Um, like I, like I am quite unusual. Like I, like I've, I've been quite, um, 
sort of brave and I've been fired a few times and I, I can't really imagine what it must be like to sort of feel like you should hold your tongue because it's not good for your career. And I think what, what people who work with me have in common is they're always people that they, they consider a good day to be something where they made something change a little bit or where they are in a process of improving something or they're learning something. And they realize that they're not really doing that their job that well if they just sort of survive. Um, and I think that, that raises interesting questions about what, what, what people's motivations are to be in their role and what a good day of work looks like. Um, and how can we get people to be a bit more um, comfortable taking risks? And how, how can we sort of change cultures so that it becomes quite normal to, to have opinions in meetings, um, you know, to have debates in meetings, to make decisions in meetings, you know? I kind of worry and I don't think the working from home era really helps here you know a lot of people are just sort of hiding most of the time and that doesn't make them lazy that doesn't make them bad people um but you do I, don't know, I almost feel like I've got a sort of moral imperative to try and sort of move things along a bit more somehow what kind of advice do you tend to find yourself giving to those people um I mean normally the people I work with I don't need to give them that much advice because they're already um sort of demonstrating behaviors that are quite helpful when I am invited into a sort of broader group of people um it's to realize that intentions matter you know like if if you're if you're failing um because you're trying to learn and and do different things then your intentions are good if you're sort of failing because you're making reckless decisions because you can be bothered to to read stuff then and it's sort of quote unquote bad so i think intentions matter a lot i think um often it's about finding the right place for you you know it's um it's impossible for a single person to really change a company that much unless they're quite senior and they brought in with a mandate to do that um, so leaving a place because it's not right for you is, is, is something that people should wear as a badge of honor. Um, I think picking the right battles, you know, picking the right moments to, to get stuck in. Um, I think the right amount of impatience. Um, I think, you know, broadly speaking, it's a little bit hard out there or it has been a little bit hard out there for the last three or four years. I think, um, you know, this sounds remarkably out of touch, but generally speaking, the economy has been quite benign. Um, if we avoid COVID or, or even if we include it in some ways, you know, the general business environment for about eight years has not been full of change and full of disruption and full of chaos and full of uncertainty. It's actually been about as pleasant and as sunny as one could imagine. You know, when you've got sort of near zero interest rates, um, everything's quite nice. And I think that sort of meant that people in their jobs have got quite used to sort of being comfortable. And I think companies look towards people to have a nice time and we should be friends with people from work and everything should be sort of nicey-nicey. Um, and I think, you know, those those things are nice and, and, and useful, but I think, you know, maybe, maybe we need to sort of raise the standards a little bit more. You know, maybe we need to sort of um, employ people that, that really bring about change. Um, maybe we need to... Uh, celebrate people who are quite tricky but get things done in in different ways um so i think the whole business world is a bit of a sort of um, it's having a little bit of an existential crisis i think not a lot's died lately like you look around and like what companies don't exist now that were prominent 10 years ago and like in the uk it's like wilco's have gone into administration but like it's kind of interesting because it's like when i went back to the uk i was like oh they still exist <laughs> um, but it's one of those businesses that I don't really know why you go there like cheap cleaning materials you need some paint to patch up a crack in a, I don't know I actually quite like it to be honest I, I go there because I don't have to think like it's for me it's kind of Ikea of, of cleaning products where you know you're not going to get shafted um, 
but yeah, I mean, there are still travel agents all over the high street. There are still bookshops. Um, there, you know, this idea that somehow everything is changing all the time is, is not really that true, actually. Well, I think there's like thing, the thing that has changed to, I remember going to China a few years ago and like being on a subway and everybody was just glued to their phone. I found it a little bit, it was like, this is like 2019. So we still had nice iPhones and stuff, but like everyone was glued to their phone. People were shopping on their phone. We're going to a bar and not being able to pay the bill because they didn't take MasterCard, Visa. Alipay wasn't open to foreigners at the time. So I remember like walking 20 minutes to go get cash, to go give cash to the server. And she paid my bill for me at some great premium. And thinking that this is a world that looks so transformationally different because we're, we're glued to these things. But like that's now coming here. You look around and everyone's like, so if you're out for a, a drink with someone, the person you go for a drink with gets up, goes to loot, you're immediately on your phone. I think that's like the that's to me is like the biggest shift that we've had, but we haven't seen that play through to the businesses that exist around us really yet. No, it's like the sort of um, the foundations of the world changed quite a long time ago, and I think we haven't really had the time to to sort of digest what it means and to sort of rebuild the main infrastructure around that. Um, so I think our, our behaviors have changed a lot quicker than, than the sort of the, the systems that we work around. I mean, I think about this all the, te- all the time, you know, I'm, I'm sort of lucky to travel quite a lot. No, the experience of getting on a plane is not that different, um, from 20 years ago. Uh, the experience of checking into a hotel where, you know, they print off a sheet of A4 and you have to write your name and your address again. Uh, and then somehow, you know, they seem to have gotten an email address from like 1985 on there for some reason. Um, you know, and then you sort of, you know, wait for someone to carry your bags and you think, yeah, actually, I'm fine carrying my bags. I just wish someone had done my admin for me. Um, you know, almost nothing has really, really changed. And, and that, that's, that's great. What that means is there's enormous potential. You know, what that means is there are really, really big opportunities for companies to get this stuff right. Um, and, and in a kind of quite a competent way, you know, like if there was a car rental company that was, um, you know, guaranteed that I could pick up my car without um, having to stand in a line. You know, I think people would pay quite a lot extra for that if there was a, a car insurance company um, that made it really, really easy to make a claim. I think um, people would pay a premium for that. So I think there there are ample opportunities in all directions at the moment, which is why I'm, I'm quite excited to do what we do. So. The first time I went to LA, I remember turning up at an Avis desk, having rented, I'd rented a sports car. So I was like, this is how you do it. I'd never been to LA before. And they went, pick whichever Mustang you choose. I was like, oh, that, that didn't queue. They just went, pick a car, take it, drive it to the gate, hand your driver's license, and that's yours. I was like, this is this is radically amazing. And then the next time I turned up, my name wasn't on the board, and it was like standing in this line of 50 people. And you get to the front, and they go, oh, we've got the wrong name against you. I was like, oh, <laughs> um, But like, I find like weird you have these companies that can do something incredible, and you sing wonderful things about them, and then the consistency is not there the next time. So we can do it. We just don't do it often and well enough. I'm always just aware that these companies leave so much money on the table. You know, can can you imagine what would happen if you walked into a car lot and you just got a little message on your phone saying, you know, welcome to budget. Um, you know, there's a BMW M3 for another seventy five dollars a day. Um, you know, if you want it, um, you know, swipe right. Um, enormous amounts of money unlocked from something that was sort of perishable goods. You know, the same with hotels, you know, when you upgrade to a quarter room. Um, you know, no one's really able to make a business case for, well, I mean, it's not that hard to make a business case for it, but there's not really a culture of how can we use technology to improve this? Um, how can we create something extra that people will pay more money for? 
you know, almost all technology is used to, to reduce the costs and to make things more efficient. Um, and I think there's a whole line of thinking there about technology to make things better um, that I'd love people to get really enthusiastic about. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentoring, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team. Are there companies that you've seen or like places you've been where you're like, hang on a minute, that's like, we can be a bit pessimistic about these things, but like, are there places where you go, that was actually amazing? I'd love to see more of that in the world. I, I think about it quite, I get that feeling quite often, but normally for quite a short period of time. Um, so it will be something like that, pick a Mustang thing. Um, I think China's full of moments like that, but I don't always understand them because I'm not always able to see what quite what's going on. Um, but the ability to sort of do things automatically through your through mobile devices is quite amazing. Um, you get quite a lot of in, in sort of places you might expect like Stockholm um, or you know Iceland, you get one or two amazing things. Um, you know, you see little glimpses. I mean, I get really excited by a nice booking flow. Like, like I love it when I, you know, you, you try and buy like a, a t-shirt online and you've done it, you know, you press sort of two things and then it says, well done, it's on his way, you know, and then you get an email saying here's a tracking number and then you click on the tracking number and it tells you where it is. Um, and, and, and stuff like that's amazing when it happens. You know, you hinted at it earlier that the trouble is that when you do that once, you know, then everything looks pretty crappy in comparison. Um, there are experiences, um, you know, buy online, pick up in stores, actually pretty nice experience across most of America. Um, uh, things like, um, one medical, I think it's a, sort of an app that you use to control your sort of, um, healthcare in America. That's pretty phenomenal. Um, yeah, I just wish that we could sort of join these things up a little bit more, you know, so I wish, um, somehow these core systems could be built in a way which allows these journeys to become quite seamless. And in a weird way, often the best experiences they have are at the opposite ends. So it's not Hertz car rental. It'll be kind of, you know, Santorini car hire, you know, where you can just send them a WhatsApp and say, you know, actually, I'm going to be there 30 minutes late. And they'll say, oh, that's great. You know, my brother Greg will be there. You know, this is a picture of him. Um, and then before you know you are, you're taking pictures of the car with WhatsApp. You're sending pictures of your driving license with WhatsApp. You know, you've left the keys in the bush somewhere behind a taverna. You know, if you rent a, a scooter in, in Bali, you have a far more digitally transformed experience than you do in Newark Airport. So. There's, there's an amazing thing around that, the businesses and almost like countries or societies that run on WhatsApp. It's still uh, a lot of work in Chile. And oh, it, it's amazing. Everything works on it. Like you want to you want to reserve a table at a restaurant, you WhatsApp yeah. the restaurant, and they reply immediately, job done. It, it's absolutely extraordinary. And, um, you know, occasionally I'll do a tweet or a LinkedIn post about this saying, actually, why can't you use WhatsApp to do everything? And everyone's very quick to come up with, with, with reasons why, you know, why, you know, I always think, why can't I just um, WhatsApp my hotel and say, you know, are you sure someone's going to be at the desk at three o'clock in the morning? Or, you know, is there any way I can get like a package delivered or, you know, just sort of fairly standard questions. And then instead you think, actually, if I can't do this, you know, you're either going to send an email to reservations at hired.com and it's never going to come back to you. Um, or you're going to have to phone them up and speak to like the booking center, you know, and you're on a train. And ironically, it's actually very hard to get mobile coverage these days to make phone calls. 
Um, so there is things you don't end up doing. And yeah, you, you wonder what the, the incredible value to unlock would be from a hotel chain that just says you can talk to our reception desk on WhatsApp 24 hours a day. Um, you wonder, you know, is it that operationally complex to do? Because it's quite easy for a, a sort of family run Airbnb and, um, you know, Kangoo to, to do this, but maybe it's hard for Marriott. But, but these things, are they're not that hard to resolve as long as you put effort into them. And often they're really about culture, you know, more than they are about technology. It's interesting that the, we like putting things in boxes. So I like, I love like people are talking about uncertainty a lot more now, but like all tech is around based around like the ones and zeros lead you to pick this box. I mean, to put you in a box. So if you're like, but making a dinner reservation, it's a follow this flow open table. We have tables available at these times and um, pick a box, which is, is fine. But then you end up with this like world of you can't build uncertainty into tech. But like to me, WhatsApp is that, but it requires a little bit of like human intuition in the background. But tech tries to almost eliminate intuition. And so how do you marry the two things up together? Well, I think more than anything else, often these systems are built around the needs of the company, um, around a brief around cost reduction. Um and ultimately, we end up all as people working around software. Um, it, it was interesting to me when when AI first came out because you started to see, okay, I can use this to write an email, um, and then you thought, okay, I can use this to you know to automate a, a spreadsheet. But actually, when you think about our daily jobs, like we're always going between platforms. So you're sort of opening up an email, um, which is then asking you about time. So then you're sort of looking at your calendar. And then you're thinking, right, I need to sort of reply to that calendar request with something a bit like an email. And then I probably need to attach something a little bit like a PowerPoint. And then I probably need to keep a record of this, you know, call that's going to happen somewhere in Excel. And you realize that even a very, very simple task, I mean, probably organizing like a kid's five-year-old's birthday party probably involves using about seven different bits of software. Um, and you would hope that software would be aligned in such a way where you could say, you know, <laughs> I've got nothing about, I don't know nothing about five-year-olds, birthday, birthday party, but, you know, move the swimming pool book in forward an hour, you know, tell everyone that it's going to start earlier, you know, ask the clown, you know, not to come if it's rainy. You know, you'd imagine there'd be a simple structure which you could then sort of spider out across all this technology, but you realize it doesn't work like that. You realize the AI could do one of those things, and then you could probably have a bit of an AI that then spoke to the other AIs, and then you could have nine different AIs all doing each of those tasks. And then you realize it probably wouldn't work because they'd spell your name wrong. Um, and yes, you, you realize, you know, my, my favorite question is to ask what systems or companies would look like if you set them up today. And I, I certainly don't think we'd be working around Slack, um, or email, um, or word or Excel. We would just have this sort of journey, this sort of flow that would encapsulate all of these different techniques in one place. It would actually probably look remarkably like WhatsApp. We found that when we use um, like a tool called Firefly. So if you put that in a meeting, transcribes your meeting, gives you an AI generated, like here's the summary, here's what the next steps were. But then it, if you have that in a company, it takes away the uncertainty that people have of, oh, what's going on with this sales system that we're developing in this new country? Rather than having to jump around and ask people or someone sends you a document over email, you just search it and you can be like, oh, Dave said this, Sarah said that. Here's what they're doing next. Great. I feel good about that now. I can move on and not worry about it. Or I can now follow up and be like, hey, there's a thing where I've got a contingency that this is going to impact. Can we like nip this in the bud before it 
turns into something else. But like the whole way we design work is like, there's so many more documents now. Or like Slack was like, we're going to eradicate email. And you're like, yeah, you eradicate. Well, you didn't eradicate email. The email still exists and you have a thousand Slack messages. Yes. that That's interesting, but hard. I'm fascinated. I'm being quite annoying today, actually. I'm, I'm fascinated by, you know, to what extent is this just we've got too many people on things? You know, like I kind of, um, I wonder if we aren't automatically sort of specking every single team with about 50 times more people than are needed. Um, and actually just having slightly more informal ways of work and slightly fewer, better people. Um, you know, perhaps working a little bit harder, actually. Um, but then having lots of technology to help them be really good at their jobs. You know, because I feel like almost 99% of software is actually making, um, trying to make it workable that you've got, you know, 27 people on the team, you know, five of whom are kind of already checked out. Um, and everyone needs to be sort of informed and everyone needs to sort of feel like they're part of the process. And it almost makes it really hard to do really good work, actually. We were sort of you know, touching on this earlier about fear and, you know, why things are the way they are. I think at the moment there's quite a lot of people in a meeting. You feel like you can't be that unconventional, you know. You can't say, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this whole thing because um, it's a waste of time. Like, like you feel a bit vulnerable if you say anything particularly interesting in those situations. Were you like worried that the rest getting up on you at that point and you're the pariah or whatever it might be? I, I think most people, like, I think there's a, um, we look at like UK banking after the credit crisis, like Lloyds Bank, I think all of them went from that, like, make, up, make up the numbers where they were roughly in the ballpark of that. I think Lloyds had 100,000 employees and then a few years later they had like 65,000, but the size of the bank hadn't really changed. And I think the same happened with the other ones because they were like, that role shouldn't exist, that role shouldn't. And a lot of those people who left, like, contribute to the fintech boom either they were like talented middle managers who were like i've got a better idea for how to do international payments i'm going to go set up something different or they were senior leaders who went and created like net new challenger banks like i don't think starling or monzo would have happened without having had the people behind them get kicked out of other banks but then you look at like canada and it's like they're adding more and more people and you kind of look around and like i don't know what you do and you're, you're a perfectly smart, intelligent person, but like, what do you do? And maybe they don't need to be let go, but maybe they just need to do something different. Or that you'll call a call center and you get like the, we're experiencing an unexpected high volume of calls. It's like, have you ever not been? <laughs> but it's all, there's all these great people in the world and they're like, that maybe they're just doing the wrong jobs, not that we have too many of them. I think that, I think that's a, a huge thing to explore. Um... I mean, I'm always aware that there are a lot of really great people that work in big companies, actually. And often they're very frustrated because they're not really given the freedom they'd like to, to be brilliant. Um, you know, so what happened if, you know, Lloyd's had made um, Monzo but under the sort of uh, structure and under the frameworks and under the protection of, of Lloyd's? You know, and, and maybe that's just not possible. Maybe the, the people who work in those entities would never be given that freedom. Maybe regulation would be a huge thing. Maybe... Um, you won't be able to attract the other people that you need if you're giving out seven-year-old sort of IBM uh, laptops and people want something a bit more snazzy. Um, but it's an interesting experiment, isn't it? Like, I, I, I always think that the, the, the future in theory should be dominated by big companies that have set up units to take on the mantle of what that future entity should be. You know, a bit like Saturn from GM or a bit like you know, gift gaff from Telefonica, you know, there aren't that many examples of it, but that always seems to me logically the best way for, for everyone to thrive.
you know the people in these places as well as the companies themselves i feel like marriott do that quite well with like that plethora of hotel brands like you look at like is, it, is moxie a marriott thing i think it is but like i've been to one of those and it was great and i've been to one of those and it was fine but the, the part of the location made the impact but it sort of it didn't feel like a marriott it felt kind of cool there's, there's a lot of good thinking in these places actually um one of the many things that i always want to do but i'll never get around to doing um but I would love to do a kind of unlikely innovation deck, you know, because the the world is full of, oh, look at this thing that Uber's done. Um, you know, look at this amazing playlist automatic job that Spotify have done. You know, there aren't that many people looking at Argos saying, you know, actually Argos is bloody amazing. Um, there aren't that many people um, looking at, I don't know, car companies that have just got like a really nicely designed prototype car that actually really should be celebrated. There aren't people looking at companies that have got really interesting business cases. Um, yeah, so there are quite a lot of quite interesting sort of challenger hotel brands um, that have quite sophisticated automated systems. I think there's something called The Hub from Travelodge or something. I really um, like them. I'm staying those in London all the time. They're yeah, great. I've walked past a few and I've always meant to sort of check one out. But they, yeah, they just look like a company that's actually really got a shit together. Um, you look at like a lot of the work that P&G does, you know, they've created things like waterless shampoos. Um, you know, they've created sort of whole new product categories like ironing water. Like actually, you know, Nescafe and Nespresso, you know, multi, multi-billion dollar business of incredible profit margin and incredible incremental revenue. And, you know, people are much more quick to celebrate a WeWork than a Nespresso. And uh, it's really wrong, actually. It's weird when you see an espresso store in Italy. That's when you know they're doing something right. Oh, I... <laughs> the Premier so... Hub things like fascinating. It's like it's, they've basically taken a Japanese pod hotel and put it in London. So you see, yeah, like free coffee. You've got good Wi-Fi, comfy bed, decent shower. But like the room, you don't want to spend any time in the room. But you don't. You're in London. You don't need to. Um, and it's 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 great. Um, but like yeah, no, it's it's a totally unsexy thing that nobody would celebrate. Nobody wants to go, where are you staying tonight? Oh, I'm at the Premier Reed Hub. <laughs> um, it's like the other one I really love in the UK is Greg's, partly because I'm from the north and I like a sausage roll, but like the say that brand has just done amazingly well because they like make, there's this sort of, they make decent enough coffee, decent enough food. And then what their, their principle is that we don't want to maximize the amount of profit we can make from every meal or every like order that we serve. We want the guy who drives the van or we want the person, lady who works in an office. We don't want them to come here once a week. We want them to come here every day. It's totally unhealthy. Like the, the, the impact on the NHS will be felt later, but like it's an incredibly successful business by trying to not maximize everything. And you end up creating something bigger and better. Like I think that stuff's like hugely under celebrated. I think the confidence to say no to things is quite a big thing. Um, you know, I'm quite a big fan of McDonald's, um, mostly because I just know it's going to take very little time. Um, and I use their digital screens quite a lot. Um, I hate saying digital screens; it sort of sounds quite old. I use their cyber kiosk, um, and like now it takes like about three times longer because you have to sort of say I'm not going to be part of the loyalty card and you have to sort of add things to a basket you know thinking you know it's not really a basket is it I'm just trying to buy a burger um, and you have all these sort of steps you have to go through um, including telling the screen lots of things that it should already know you know 
And, um, you know, it's not going to change the world taking it a few steps. And it's not like I get in a fit of rage and I decide to leave my Big Mac behind. Um, but for a company that's done the integration of, of technology in an absolutely phenomenal way, I kind of look at that and I think, why do you even need a loyalty card? Like, um, you know, someone do the maths on a loyalty card for McDonald's. And I'm sure they can find that the cohort of people that belong to the loyalty card spend more money. But that all that's happened is you've sort of um, ratified your audience, which is to take people that already spend more money and to put them through a program that costs you a lot of money to, to run. Um, so I'm sort of fascinated by companies that, that don't um, track their stock. I'm fascinated by companies that don't have loyalty cards. I'm fascinated by companies that just have like well-trained staff um, that they treat quite well. Um, and quite a simple sort of product proposition that they can deliver about, deliver against really well and really strong operations that mean that, you know, they get stuff on time. Um, so I have this sort of weird thing where I think people probably get quite confused by me because one minute I'm saying that you should get like a message on your app when you pick up a car to upgrade and the next minute I'm saying Greg's is great. Um, but I think, I think every company needs to know what they're about and they need to know how important innovation is. They need to know what their sort of direction is. They need to know you know, to what extent you're about technology versus people. Um, and it's it's really nice to see companies in different ways winning. You know, Pound Stores is another good example. Right, like I use Ryanair a lot where like the way they built their thing is all about operational efficiency and operational efficiency is low fares. Also originally it was like shitty customer service, whereas now it's it's fine. It's not bad. It's better than BA. Um, and like, but nobody celebrates that. But it kind of, to me, stems down from like a cult like, leader of michael o'leary at the top just being just being him and do you wonder um you know it's it's quite hard to celebrate some of these brands without feeling a little bit vulnerable that you're championing behavior which is not very um uh, sort of necessarily helpful to be demonstrating but i i do think um on the basis that people should be able to choose where they work and on the basis that people can always leave and good people can always find other jobs I do think it's quite interesting to look at very strong, aligned, you know, charisma and competence-led businesses. Because um, there are a lot of brilliant companies out there that are like that because there's a real strength and there's decisiveness. I, know I personally would never want to work at Amazon, but you can see how well, um, how, how extraordinary as a logistics company Amazon is. I think they're a pretty bad retailer. As a logistical company, they're incredible. Well, the fact that I can just go buy something, know it's going to turn up tomorrow, amazing. Finding that thing if I didn't know I wanted it, horrible. Like, oh, impossible. Impossible. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I don't want to make this go too long, but um, like we try and keep these things not too long, but I always make my episodes always seem to go longer than the other guys. <laughs> um, I'll ask you some sort, of, some sort of quicker questions, but like, where do you go to feed your brain? I'm everywhere. Um, like the world is fascinating you know the the toilets in the cinema are interesting all days um the car park is interesting um the plane is interesting the hotel room staff room is the hotel staff room is interesting um tv shows are interesting um honestly like like it's very hard not being interested in everything um and maybe that's a, a quirk to who i am but i don't think so i mean just get on a tram and try and buy a ticket um, you know, try and buy something from Amazon's website and see what else comes up. You know, it doesn't have to cost anything either. So, um, no, everything is interesting. And my, my favorite thing to do is like is, is what I call a change safari, where you just walk around um, a day and you think, if I did this 20 years ago, what would look different? Um, and then you think, what would look the same 
And then you start thinking, well, why is this? You know, why is this happening here? Why is that not changed? And I know, right, the world's fascinating. Um, what, what to you is like under height from doing that? Um, I mean, the obvious answer is sort of basic competence, you know, and by that, I mean, sort of mainly things like databases that can remember how you spell your name, um, databases that talk to each other. Um, I still think QR codes have an awful lot of potential. You know, I think it would be um, sensible to imagine a world where you could buy from any single advert, you know, just by hovering over a QR code. Um, and then you think what that actually means for adverts, where you could start placing adverts in places where people might want to buy things from. Um, so probably those would be the two. I think there's enormous potential for something a bit like an everything app. You know, I think um, it'll be interesting to see if it's possible for, for people to to sort of make something built around journeys. So why isn't there sort of one app? Maybe it's the camera that's the sort of lead feature where you go into this place and you can do a lot of stuff from that one place. Um, but broadly speaking, most of the technology from the 90, from the 2000s has still not really been integrated that well. You know, it's still surprisingly hard to get customer service over email. Um, it's still surprisingly hard to spend more money by using Bluetooth, uh, things like that. I really like those. I think it was you did a post around the everything app, but if you started from the camera, the bank, the social yeah. media network, you end up with different everything apps. Yeah. And then people think in that way. So that was like, to me, that was really insightful. Yeah. I wrote that ages ago and then I reposted it again recently. And I was kind of annoyed because when I wrote it in the first place, I thought it was going to be quite well loved by people and no, no one cared about it at all. But Elon yeah. hasn't been in touch. <laughs> he's always, he's always trying to get out of me. Oh. Um, <laughs> crazy guy. Um, no, like, I, I think, um, you know, how does all this stuff come together in a way? Um, and what permission do people have? Like, you know, banking is very interesting because, um, you know, if we wanted uh, the role of a bank to be bigger, what, what do they have permission to do? What trust do they have? You know, I'd, I'd quite like my, my bank to know everything I own. Um, and then if an, if a warranty is running out, they could sort of tell me that my TV's out warranty. I probably wouldn't buy another one an extended warranty but some people would um i don't think people would feel um that was an unhelpful thing to tell people um i'd quite like my sort of um bank to sort of know what clothes i've got and then maybe it could sort of suggest stores i might like based on things i bought um you know if you imagine how much metadata there could be within a receipt within within a receipt yeah imagine the sku had all these metadata inside it you know when when were you buying it uh, what does the instruction manual look like what products go alongside that you know, there's, there's huge potential in the sort of rudimentary data that even, you know, PLUs have. So. Or even like, where might you want to go this weekend? Here's some activities for you, like whatever it might be. We've had like actually finding like that sort of stuff has got weird in the internet. Well, that's, well, you know, what would an ad look like in a calendar? Like if I've just booked a sort of flight to Marrakesh, like I have, um, you know, I wouldn't be that offended if someone started showing me events that I could do on Thursday night in Marrakesh. Yeah, you know, it wouldn't be that intrusive if someone says, you know, it looks like it's going to be really bloody hot. You know, you haven't booked an Airbnb yet. Make sure you get one with air conditioning. Here are three to choose from. Um, how can advertising be helpful to us? I think it's quite an interesting question. That's a really interesting one too. Um, and then lastly, how weird are you? Um, I don't think I am weird, which I think probably means I'm really weird. Um, it always seems like quite a logical brain that I have and it always seems quite sort of, expected that you'd sort of think about your customers you know i remember when i worked in advertising i'd, I'd work a lot on on nivea brands and i would just sort of 
you know, if, if I was going to go and see my, my parents, I'd sort of get the train and have a look around Boots in Banbury and sort of see the Nivea products. And I wasn't sort of working. It, it just sort of seemed like it would be normal to sort of care about this stuff. Um, it'd be normal to sort of watch ads and sort of see other ads in your category. And I feel a little bit like maybe I'm, I'm completely abnormal and weird because I don't think many people do this sort of stuff. To your point around like that, that person at an airline who doesn't fly on another airline, totally that. Like people don't go in, what, what could somebody buy instead of my thing? I think thinking like that shouldn't be weird, but it's weird. Yeah. So maybe you're weird. Or even like, you know, if you sell, if you, if you if you're a bank, you know, it doesn't seem like it'd be either that weird to go into, you know, a cafe and think, oh, you know, what about this cafe is a nice place to be. You know, how should that affect our store design? Um, if you're in a bank and you buy something from an airline and you get an email saying this and that, you know, that doesn't seem like a bad thing to learn from. You know, when it comes to the onboarding process, you know, I think. Um, we shouldn't just be looking at competitor activity. We should be looking at kind of stimulating activity. Thanks for doing this, Tom. I really appreciate it. It's like lovely, to, like, lovely to chat with you. Like, we chatted not that long ago, but it's always interesting. Even if we do, we go a bit negative at times. I do, yeah, we don't I do. mean to. I, the thing that people misunderstand about me is I'm very positive and I'm very optimistic and I think everything could be amazing. And what happens is I just get a little bit frustrated by lots of things that happen on a frequent basis where you think, a bit like the, you know, we're, an, we're facing unexpected call volume today. It's like, no, you're not. Like, we, we've now had this for nine years. Just change it to, you know, we apologize that we're busy. Um, don't tell me that you can also buy flights on BA.com, you know, because you can see from my frequent flyer number, this is not the first time I've ever been on your call center hotline. You know, I'm very aware of the fact that the internet exists. You know, maybe, um, maybe tell me some of the new things that you can now do on BA.com just in case. Um, you know, that's actually going to resolve my query. Maybe let me email you. Yeah, that would be lovely. E emailing a company would be the holy grail. <laughs> so concludes another episode of Label Sessions Presents. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast no matter your platform of choice. And of course, start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com. <laughs>